And welcome to 40 Going on 14, episode 162. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And I had resolved not to read any of the reviews complaining about the new Exorcist show, but the power of gripes compelled me. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you get gold, sometimes you get a dad joke. Oh, wow. Your mother's going to suck cocks in hell for that one. Damn well, it. That- I know. I realized it after I said it. Oh, yeah, you realize that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the one who's got the dead mom. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Joel. I'm In sorry. this episode, Joel's a dick. Uh, what am I going to do go, now? I'm going to go suck cocks in hell. You got it covered, Pat. You can go home. Okay. See you later. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, this week we are doing uh, The Exorcist. Bow, bow, bow. 1973. 73? Yeah. yeah. 73. Uh, 73. True one, one more time, just for clarification. 73. 73. I was one. So was I. I was just a twinkle in my father's pants. Like, that wasn't even a bad dream yet. Mm. Better wake up and apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to apologize, Saturdays at noon. I was going to say, if you'd like something to wake up to, you can always go to the Podcast Collective. Uh, where you can find such shows as not currently in the notes. <laughs> as refer back to other intros. Find out I, there's I, a, there's a I tabbed in- back and I was like, I'm stymied. There's the dog induced show. <laughs> uh, give you s- I'm sorry. I keep hearing the dog induced show. <laughs> the left field sports lounge. Uh, uh, and-, and us. Joel's show, the happy in there and the coffee. <laughs> I'm, I'm frantically trying podcast. to go to Google on Drive to get to old notes. Oh, <laughs> Google is not loading. This this is a on the block. This is a no hope for right humanity. Now. The Coffin Joe cast, Joel's own sunshine happy pants hour, us dating baggage, the internet with Scott the pool boy. I am Salt Lake. Mint in box cast, tales from the hard side, the dog and do show, the rad dad radio hour, and the empty rand podcast. Uh, Michael fix all that in post. He almost stuck the landing. You forgot to say the Rad Dad Radio Hour. I'm not last. You, dude. <laughs> but yeah, Michael take care of all that in post. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm writing that shit down right now. <laughs> all right, so uh, we have news. We have got voicemails. Oh, Yay. well, oh. Te- technically a voice email. This is from uh, Nikki, New Zealand. Nikki. Yeah, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yeah, so let's hear what she has to say. Hey, guys. Just want to say I really enjoyed um, September. I really liked uh, hearing some different people on the podcast. 
Uh, I really think it's funny that Mike was conveniently absent when Scott turned up, so he didn't have to admit that he hasn't listened to the internet with Scott the Pool Boy yet. <laughs> um, I also really liked uh, having um, Blake on the show from, you know, Hobie, History of Bad Ideas. I know you guys have been, you know, like Twitter and social media buddies for a few years now because you're on both on the Tangent Bound Network and... Um, with the whole Gen Con thing and everything so it's really good to hear a bit of crossover there hopefully you guys can get Jeff or Jason on at some point or maybe one of you four can go on to the Hobie podcast um, yeah that would be heaps of fun, I'm a fan of obviously both podcasts from Twitter and everything and yeah, great to hear Blake on there, just need to get yeah, Jeff and Jason on there and teach them some cricket stuff, they don't know much about cricket either, I'm sure you guys can teach them lots I don't know about all that. Was there more? That was an abrupt ending. I don't know much about cricket either. I'm sure you guys can get some lots. All right. Uh, Keep up the good work, dude. See ya. We lost her a little bit in the ether. Yeah. That would be great. That would be a great show. Already going on 14 explains cricket to history of bad ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the hell's going on. You take a drink. Oh, oh, damn it. Somebody's <laughs> going to die of alcohol poisoning. There's no way that entire situation is going to go well for anybody. Kobe. <laughs> Googling what? how to clean vomit out of keyboard. <laughs> oh, I've got that saved. <laughs> Step one, buy a new keyboard. <laughs> Step two, don't drink. All right. Second voicemail from Nikki. Oh, just finish your thing episode. I wanted to make a quick little note that I don't know if anyone picked up. Um, it was mentioned about uh, Death Proof, because, you know, Kurt Ross was in Death Proof. Um, I'm sure Joel probably knows this, maybe some of you other guys, but um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's in Death Proof as well. She's um, one of the four chicks um, with the car that he goes after in the second half of that movie. A little bit of uh, Six Degrees... You know, knowledge dropping on you there. I didn't even have to look at IMDb. Awesome. And here's the best line about why you shouldn't call Kiwis Aussies. All right. Love you guys. Bye. I I thought we did mention that. I I specifically know somebody mentioned it, but maybe we talked about it before we started recording. That could be. Well, she stays behind, so she's not in the car chase. And and Zoe Bell is a New Zealander. She's a Kiwi. Good. I remember specifically saying that I still haven't seen Death Proof. Really? Mm-hmm. What? It just, for some reason, never intrigued me, so I never made, went out of my way to see it. Well, as I've discussed with Joel, it's, uh, though I like all of the Tarantino flicks, uh, it is my least favorite. Yeah. Yeah, we agree to disagree on, on that one. No, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> We've been over this before. It's not that it's bad, but something has to be last place. Right. Right. Jackie Brown. Oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Here we I, go. I was going to say, I know Jackie uh, Jackie Brown is one of Josh's favorites. It's yep. the number one, yeah. yeah he yeah. said that just to get at me. I, know. I still haven't seen Jackie Brown either. What? Yeah. Same Come on, I, dude. I can say you are literally doing nothing better than watching Jackie Brown. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You... <laughs> I was, you know what? I almost went down a really perverted road there, and I'm just going to stop. Wait, Fair I'll make enough. you a deal. I censored myself, believe it or not. If you wow. watch Jackie Brown or Death Proof or both, 
I will watch an equal number of Big Lebowski for each film that you watch. Wait, oh. how many? Wait, how many Lebowskis to one Death Proof? So if he watches Death Proof, I'll watch De- Big Lebowski again. And if he watches watch Jackie Brown, he'll watch. I'll watch it a third time. So I like this. All right, there's your on. deal. You're on. Nice. What if I watch it? No, it's just with Pat. Because <laughs> you've you've got good taste in films, Mike. Hey! <laughs> so about that time. Oh, it is so about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. Experts. <laughs> All right. So this weekend is in 1972. Three. This. Three? 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 Sorry. 1973. Sorry. 73. I was frantically fine trying to figure which tab had the uh, show notes on it. <laughs> December 26th. Just in time for Christmas. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you not know how a calendar works, Mike? <laughs> uh, music. That's <laughs> why all my stuff is cheap. <laughs> He's like, why are these decorations half off? <laughs> Music. The number one song is The Most Beautiful Girl by Charlie Rich. That guy's got talent, by the way. That's a great song. Especially when covered by George Costanza. <laughs> uh, ACDC performed their first major gig in Sydney, Australia on December 31st. The second annual New Year's Rockin' Eve airs on December 31st with performances by Tower of Power, Billy Preston, and the Pointer Sisters. That is a sad lineup. <laughs> I'd enjoy it. I mean, when Billy, Pre- I, I like Billy Preston, but when he's your star, that's that's not good. I think that's what gave. Uh, no, I'm not going to say it. Never mind. Um, Chad Lamont Butler, born December 29th, well, that gave Magic Johnson AIDS. Is that what you're going to say? No, I was going to say Dick Clark cancer, but I don't know if he died ah. of cancer. So, and besides, we all know that was the Tower of Power with Magic <laughs> oh. Johnson. <laughs> You know who I just... What the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> I don't, why am I like the, the most subdued guy so far in this podcast? I think Joel is the only person that can, is going to get this, but did you hear about Rotten Robbie has cancer? From, from uh, what was that TV show, Joel, with the kids show where they had all the puppets, the people with HR the perception? No, no, it's newer than that. Oh, uh, the girl with the pink hair. Yeah, Lazy Town. Yeah, oh. Lazy Town. What? Yeah, Rotten Robbie from Lazy Town. Oh. It's messed up. Yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah. It's every uh, pedophile's dream. Yeah, it, do not rule 42 that one. Yes, do not. <laughs> um, Chad Lamont Butler, born December 29th, was better known by a stage name, Pimp C, a hip-hop recording artist and producer. This doesn't look good. <laughs> he was best known for his work with Bun B as a founding member of the Underground Kings with a Z. Pimp C was found dead in a hotel in West Hollywood, California on December 4th, 2007. Due to a recreational drug called syrup or purple drink. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Promethazine and codeine. That's what it is. In conjunction with pre-existing sleep apnea. Yikes. So we had both a birth and a death, which might be a first for the twee. Birth and a death in the same entry. <laughs> Sipping on scissor. Are they making a sequel to that? What? Promethazine? <laughs> yes, they are. Two more, actually. All right, so on to movies. <laughs> on December 25th, The Sting premiered, starring Paul Newman and Robert Redford, and later won the Best Pic- Picture Oscar over The Exorcist, which was also nominated. The first horror movie ever nominated. 
Yep. Really? Yep. Out of a very small group of those films, that was the it was the first one nominated. Yeah. But you know, I only saw The Sting the first time a few years ago. That's it, Sting is is literally one of my top twenty movies. I love it so much, and it's as a as a poker guy who's been involved in poker for so many years. It's my favorite poker scene in all of cinema is in this movie. <clears throat> you guys have all seen this thing, yes or no? Yes. Mm-hmm. Joel? What, the sting? Yeah. Uh, no, but I saw the sting too. Just uh, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, the the scene on the train when um when they they try to set him up with a cold deck to have quads over quads and he ends up with better quads and wins the hand. That whole scene, like when he recheats the cheaters, is so well done and so just so great. Such a fun scene, and like you know, the the, the kingpin at the end of it, you know, when, when they're in their room alone, he's like, "What was I supposed to do? Accuse him of cheating better than me?" <laughs> right. All right. Moving on to born on December twenty fourth, Stephanie Morgan, better known as Stephanie Meyer. Uh, I've got a bad feeling she's going to live through this. <laughs> is a young adult fiction writer and film producer known for her vampire romance series, Twilight. Her series of novels has gained worldwide recognition and sold over 100 million copies with translations into 37 different languages. Myra was ranked number 49 on Time Magazine's list of the 100 most influential people in 2008 and was included in the Forbes Celebrity 100 list of the world's most powerful celebrities in 2009, entering at number 26. Her annual earnings at the time exceeded $50 million. As if soon as she said it was. Why are, why are we still poor if she can do that? Right. Like, how well, did she, that awful series catch on? So She finished something, I guess. I mean, that's... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike, Mike and I have kids to prove that we've finished. So. <laughs> At least twice. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with this episode? <laughs> I don't know, man. We'll fix it in post. This episode, like we're all possessed. Oh, damn it. That was <laughs> all right. So TV. Erna. Erna. Erna Phillips. A writer who created and scripted many of the first American soap operas. Creating co-created Guiding Light, Young Dr. Malone, These Are My Children, As the World Turns, Another World, Peyton Place, and was a story editor on the acronym of the week, which is D-O-O-L. Which, of course, is the soap opera Dildos of Old Ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Duel. Uh, I gotta go to Pornhub. You catch the last episode of Duel. (laughs) No, that is Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. Oh. Well, she was also a mentor to Agnes Nixon, the creator of All My Children and One Life to Live, William J. Bell, the creator of The Young and the Restless and The Bold and the Beautiful, and James Lipton, creator of Ice Tea. <laughs> he died of undisclosed causes on December 23rd. Her self-written obituary was published only after her death and was discovered on Christmas Day when Agnes Nixon called on her and was informed of her passing. Young Dr. Malone. That was a prequel to Cheers, I believe. <laughs> I was confused by the f- phrasing in that sentence and thought she was also credited with the creation of James Lipton. <laughs> Inside the actors. So studio. She was a mentor to all those people and, nice. and wrote all that shit. And like basically modern day soap operas wouldn't exist without her. And T. <laughs> Not that Lipton. <laughs> That's Doesn't none of my business. Yeah. Huh. So Reichen Lemichol. <laughs> Was born Richard Allen Levicool 
on December 26th. Good change. Uh-oh. He is a former United States Air Force officer best known for winning season four of the reality show The Amazing Race with his then-partner Chip Arndt and then for his much-publicized 2006 relationship with pop singer Lance Bass. He's gay. Yeah, I, yeah, we got that. Yeah. No, I, I meant Lance Bass. Really? Well, at least his boyfriend is. <laughs> Wilson Cruz, born December 27th, uh-oh, is an actor known for playing Ricky Vasquez in My So-Called Life and Angel in the Broadway production of Rent. Not everybody has to die. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, we've already had one who was born this week who uh, is dead by now. Yeah. Seth Meyers, former Saturday Uh-oh. writer and producer. <laughs> Sorry. In post of late night, was born December 28th in Evanston, Illinois. I didn't know he was from Evanston. Me either. I didn't know he was alive. <laughs> well, it had a happy ending for you then, Joel. All right, in sports. I finished again. Wait, wait, what? Never mind. It's just going. What happened? And sports. <laughs> I'm very confused right now. Don't do that to me. The 62nd Australian Open was held at Kooyong Stadium in Melbourne, Australia. Please correct me on that, Killer, <laughs> when you get a chance. From December 22nd to January 1st, Jimmy Connors won the men's singles, and Yvonne gulagong Kali won the women's singles and the women's doubles with her partner, Peggy Michelle. Okay. On December 21st, at the third Fiesta Bowl, number 10, Arizona State beats Pittsburgh 28-7. to Here we go. Here's our cricket facts. Uh-oh. Arthur John Where, Richardson. Everybody drink when you hear the words you don't know. <laughs> Arthur John Richardson played nine tests for Australia, and he played first-class cricket for South Australia as an opening batsman <laughs> and off-spin bowler. In his final season, he helped South Australia. Yeah, South Australia. South Australia. Starting to try to get their accent down, I think. He helped them win in the Sheffield Shield by scoring 607 runs at 67.44, including innings of 232 against Queensland. His highest first-class score was 280 in 242 minutes for South Australia against the MCC in 1922-23 when he became the first person to hit a century before lunch. <laughs> his best bowling came in the match against Oxford University in 1926 when he took 6 for 28 and 5 for 36. He died December 23rd in Semaphore, South Australia. Of boredom. <laughs> so Dude. we had cricket and a death there. Yeah. The two whammy. And he did something before lunch. <laughs> he, he scored a century before lunch. And on December 30th, in the AFC Championship game, the Miami Dolphins beat the Oakland Raiders 27-10. And in the NFC Championship game, the Minnesota Vikings beat the Dallas Cowboys 27-10 to set the lineup for Super Bowl Eight. Hooray! All right. Is there, like, a record-holding thing for things done before lunch for cricket? There wasn't until he did it. Well, that makes sense considering how long the games are. That uh, and a century sounds like it's a kind of high score record. Yeah, it's true. It's like scoring like fifty points in basketball before half or something. Right. Mm. Kuyong. All right. Kuyong Stadium. 
<laughs> when when you were chewing on your words in the middle of that Australia thing, all I could think is, I cannot speak in an American <laughs> accent. I didn't know the Mandarin was going to be on the show. <laughs> I should have just taken a break and swallowed, but I was just trying to get through that fucking paragraph. That's what, That's she, what said. she said. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll be back with the main show in just a bit. The power of Christ compels you! The, the power, power of Christ compels you! All right, we are back, and we are going to get our exorcist on. You? That sounds weird. Yeah, it's not a good thing. Don't worry, it's benign. <laughs> so, it yeah, is? so it, it is. Well, actually, it's probably malignant, I guess, would be more appropriate. It's not a tumor. <laughs> His whole head spins around when he says it. All right, so the original exorcist movie came out in 1973, uh, based off of a book by William Peter Blatty came out in the year earlier or two years earlier and it's starring Ellen Burstyn, Linda Blair, Maxon Sydow and Jason Miller. Uh in the book that Blatty wrote was inspired by the 1949 exorcism of Roland Doe which deals with the demonic possession of a 12-year-old girl and her mother's attempts to win back her child through exorcism conducted by two priests. The adaptation is relatively faithful to the book, which has been uh, uh, commercially successful, hitting New York Times bestseller list. Uh, incidentally, the book, yeah, my the library at my high school, which was a Lutheran high school, they had a copy, and I tried reading it once, and it gave me such horrible headaches that I stopped. And I blame the content. Uh, I love the story about the guy whose manager was reading The Exorcist, and he got so freaked out and messed up by it that he threw it in the river. And the dude bought another copy and hid it in his desk. <laughs> yeah, soaked it in water, hid it in his desk. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I won't lie. That would set me off. Well, that's, Mine was a true story, though. I don't know if that's true or not. Mm. See, if somebody would do that to me, they'd be like, well, cleansing by fire. <laughs> So, uh, aspects of the novel were inspired by the exorcism performed on a young boy from Cottage City, Maryland, by the Jesuit priest William F. Bodern, who formerly taught at both St. Louis University and St. Louis University High School. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, also, the agency representing Blair, Linda Blair, did not send her for the role. Uh, Blair's mother took him, took her to meet with Warner Brothers' casting department. And then Fred Crin, uh, Pamela Ferdin, uh, a veteran science fiction and supernatural drama, a veteran of science fiction and supernatural drama, was a candidate for the role of Reagan, but was ultimately was turned down. Actress, I guess. What's that? I said she's another kid actress, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but she was too famous, so they didn't give her the role. Right. Uh, April Winchell was also considered, but then she developed... Donuts. Pylonephritis? Pylonephritis, yeah. I don't know what that is. Donuts. Uh, life-threatening then, infection of the kidneys. Pylonephritis. Bac- so a bacterial, invi- a bacterial virus that attacks the kidneys. Wow. Yeah, that'll yeah, take you down. Uh, which caused her to be hospitalized and ultimately taken out. Denise Nickerson, who we know as Violet Beauregard in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, was considered, but the material troubled her parents too much, which is kind of weird because they read the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate right. Factory script. <laughs> <laughs> like... You're That's only like idea. 
It's not like it's a different grade. It's more like a step to the left with that. <laughs> uh, but eventually, uh, what's her name? Uh, who else is there? Anissa Jones, known for her role as Buffy in Family Affair. She auditioned, but she too was rejected for the same reason. She was too too famous, so they went with Blair, who was relatively unknown until the film's success. And she regretted that decision because they were, it was grueling. And she was typecast after that. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Definitely uh, prevented her from going anywhere in her career. Speaking of which, this film, as I've said many times before on record, is the scariest film I've ever seen and, and one of my favorite horror films, whereas the sequel, The Heretic, is one of the worst films ever made. Although Exorcist 3 followed the plot of the sequel to the book yes, a little and closer. Was yeah. pretty damn and freaky. As, yes, it's quite a good film. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, directed by William Friedkin, and of course uh, written by William Peter Blatty. Yep. Uh, William Friedkin also directed The French Connection. Oh, yeah. So this uh, star, oh. yeah, starred Ellen Burstyn as Chris McNeil, uh, who is known for Requiem from a Dream, The Fountain, and Interstellar. Who has been apparently keeping up with her trippy ass movies for her entire career. <laughs> yeah, I was yes. gonna say. I think people are. She's trying to make people forget she was in the fountain. Yeah, oh, yeah I agree fu- with you so much on that. The fountain. I don't know what to think about the fountain. Well, but that's uh, like, I, that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, uh, Ming the We're Merciless as show. Father Marin. That was. Oh, uh, you're Matt. right. Yeah, I am right. That's who he is. Oh my gosh! I totally. I kept thinking he looked familiar, and I couldn't think why. Are you serious? Yes. Yeah, Max von Sydow is in freaking everything. Heck, he right. was in The Force Awakens. Yeah. I think of him as being in uh, The Black Hole. Yep, he was in that too. <laughs> oh, sorry. Emperor Ming. Yeah. Yeah, wow. first thing, my, my for whenever I hear Max von Sydow, the first thing that pops in my head is Ming the Merciless. Mm-hmm. So. Ah. Uh, uh, I Lee- probably actually think Minority Report first, he strangely. Saved every one of us. Oh, that's right. Minority Report, wow. Yeah, yeah I, I was on the list of six people who liked that movie. Yep. I was all right. It was okay. That's about what I thought of it. I didn't hate it. Didn't love it. Yeah. So, also starring Lee J. Cobb as the cop, William J. Kinderman. Who Kitty. thought he was Columbo. <laughs> who liked movies. Yeah. Yeah, and who plays a pretty major role in the sequel to the book in Exorcist and Exorcist 3. Yeah. Now, is is Lee Cobb is... Hang on. Exorcist 3. I don't know if they brought him back. Been yeah, so long since uh, I've seen it. I'm just is wondering. Is he related to the text cop? No. no. He's related to corn. No, uh, yeah, no, I'm right. George C. Scott plays Kinderman in The Exorcist uh, 3. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's so. Uh, yeah, they don't, bring, they don't bring Cobb back. They hand it over to George C. Scott. And if you get a chance, seriously, Joel, if you have you seen 3? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Skip oh, yeah. 2, go right to 3. Uh, Kitty Wynn is Sharon. Jack McGarren as Burke Dennings, Jason Miller as Father Karras, Linda Blair as Regan, and William O'Malley as Father Dyer. Exorcism three or Exorcist three will make you afraid of grandmothers and large um, fish hedge clippers. Very true. Yeah, it's that was actually really good. The grandmother um, was very creepy. You know, she's crawling around on the ceiling. Yes. Yes, Aww. which doesn't right. happen in this movie, which is the one we're talking about. But right. <laughs> okay, this uh, is the first the horror. Yeah. yeah, the first horror Joel's film rated. to be rated for a Best Picture Academy Award. Rated. He's not doing anything. Joel's not. <laughs> what? 
Yeah, Joel. Pull your weight. Get your shit together, Joel. Yeah. Uh, We're all disappointed in you. You disappoint? What? I don't know. What the hell happened? I don't know, but it's the first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture Academy Award. The four films that would follow were Jaws, Silence of the Lambs, The Sixth Sense, looks like I got an exclamation point after it, The Sixth Sense, and Black Swan. The Silence of the Lambs from 1991 was the only one to win, which arguably could or could not be considered a horror film. Same thing with Black Swan. Yeah, I was going to say, the only one of those that's clearly a horror film, aside from Exorcist, is Sixth Sense. I mean, uh, Jaws, you, know, you could, Jaws yeah, you Jaws. could put a good, good case for that. Uh, I yeah, I guess you could call Jaws horror, yeah. clearly. Environmental Silence horror. Silence of the Lambs is definitely horror. It's, like more, it's more psychological because most of the real horror takes place off screen. But well, I, I mean, if you're going to call that horror, you almost have to have any thriller that has a gore element horror. Right, then Seven is Well, what, what would you classify Silence of the Lambs as? Then? It's a serial killer. It's a, it's a it's thriller. A thriller. Yeah. yeah. It's a subgenre of a thr- of thriller. It's definitely a thriller, yeah, but I. Yeah. Hmm. It's not a horror movie, and I I will argue that. Although there's a lot of people on both sides, I I agree with Josh. I don't. Yeah, it's certainly close enough to be in the conversation, but I, I I'm with Joel on this one. I, I mean, I don't know if I've ever really thought about it. I've just kind of always. A, I don't know. Yeah. I mean. <clears throat> anyway, we're talking about. Just <laughs> we keep getting off topic. It's just a great movie, no matter what. Yes, it keep is. Keep reading, Joel. On the first day of filming exorcism sequences, Linda Blair's delivery of her foul mouth dialogue was so disturbed. It so disturbed the gentlemanly Max von Sydow that he actually forgot his lines. Nice. Which credit to Linda Blair for making a huge, even back then, huge actor drop his lines. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, upon its initial theatrical release, the film affected many audiences so strongly that at many theaters, paramedics were called to treat people who fainted and others who went into hysterics see i wonder how i wonder how much of that's true and how much of that was the theater companies publicizing saying that happened to get more people to go see it right exactly yeah it's kind of like the um what movie was it what what was it where they had to you had to sign a the uh, tingler i'm not joking i all right you know what forget i said anything read the next one <laughs> no he's right the tingler was the, the tingler mm-hmm. yes that was yep. the name of it they had the seats wired they had every other like seat in certain rows wired with a short shock of electricity that at key points in the film, they would shock the audience. No, I was talking about the one where they had to sign it because the ending was so... Oh, Psycho. Was it Psycho? Psycho did that. That was one of the first ones that that took that model. I don't know, but now I want to see the Tingler. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock made a big deal out of, like, you know, having people sign, you know, because he'd stand outside the theaters, having people sign release forms, you know, they, they... if, if they had a heart attack at the end, at the ending, you know, it wasn't his yeah. fault. He, yeah. he, he pioneered that whole concept of making it a very interactive experience and making people, you know, word of mouth. And, and yeah. William Castle then took that and made it a whole career. Like, I was going to say real quick. Um, he was actually psycho was the first time, um, b- before, let me, let me back up. When movies were first uh, released, there there wasn't really a whole lot of you know like necessarily plot. It was just scene after scene after scene, and people would come in to the movies. You just buy tickets to see a movie. There wasn't a start time. You just buy tickets to go in, and you go in and you watch and you keep watching until you realize, oh, I've already seen this scene. It's looped. Okay, I'm gonna go. And you know nothing was started at certain times. Well, Psycho was the first time Alfred Hitchcock insisted, don't let people in after it has started. 
when it's, when the movie starts, you just shut the doors and that's it. You have, and, people have to watch it from the beginning and watch it all the way through. And one of the main reasons that he came up with that concept was because Janet Lee dies so early on. He was questioning his people. He's like, well, what happens if somebody comes in halfway? They're going to be like, where's Janet Lee? We came to see her. And so his way to fix that was to do that. And that does set a, set a trend. So anyway, Arthur, Arthur, <laughs> author, William Peter Blatty once won $10,000 on the Groucho Marx show. You bet your life. When Groucho asked what he planned to do with the money, he said he planned to take time, time off work to work on a novel. This was a result. Thank you, Groucho Marx, for doing multiple things that made my life wonderful. No shit. That's crazy. This I never is knew why that. we love Groucho. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Right? <laughs> cool? I never knew that. That's a pretty cool fact. So, so Joel has said this is uh, the scariest film ever in his list of top horror films. This is the number one on my list of top horror films. This is the first time I've seen it. What? 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 I had never seen I mean, I've seen cl- clips of it. How but is I, that possible, and how did we not know that? Yes to both things you just said. Yes. Because <laughs> I, I I, just never watched it. Never. You're too busy watching RoboCop on repeat. <laughs> uh, that'll be Big Trouble Little China. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> fair enough. Fair that enough. In, interspersed with Clue. Um, well, <laughs> and to be fair, I mean, Mike. And Zorro the Keyblade. <laughs> Mike doesn't shy away from horror, but that's not his. I mean, he's not a big fan of it, though, I don't think either. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm not, I mean, that's, that's part of it. Is that, I mean, uh, I do enjoy a good horror flick every now and then, but I don't, I won't actively seek them out. So I like just, me. this one just never hmm. crossed my, I mean, even when I worked at the video store, I never, I was there. I mean, I could just picked it up and taken it home, but I, you know, I, my taste went towards more terrible movies like, uh, <laughs> The Pit and the Pendulum starring Lance Hendrickson. <laughs> so, which version of this did we all watch preparing for this show? I watched uh, the standard version, and I, I own the the version you've never seen on DVD, which I've been meaning to upgrade. But uh, so I watched the the one with the additional f- f- footage. Yes, now, the director's cut or the extended director's cut? Uh, just the version you've never seen. I don't know which one it is. It's the one with the spider walk in it. Okay, that's the director's cut. Uh, The extended director's cut's on Blu-ray, and that's the one I watched. Yeah, I haven't picked that set up yet, sadly. I use my fire stick, so I'm not entirely sure which one I watched, but... (laughs) Fair enough. It was a two-hour movie, so... I watched it on the train, and I got another seat to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Because nobody... I'm getting a reputation on that train, man. Nobody wants... Mike loves Octobers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, look at what... I mean, because the week before that, I watched The Thing, and everybody's kind of like, oh, yeah, look at that. Walking heads. I'm going to sit somewhere else. (laughs) But, yeah. No, this is the first time I saw it, and... uh, for 1973, yeah, I can see how this can shake the shit up a little bit. <laughs> well, and I think that the really famous scenes, the climax of the movie, the exorcism itself, have been done so many times that rewatching it, I was more fascinated by the a sequence in Iraq uh, at the beginning. All the setup. Yeah, yeah, all all of the setup that led to it, the interesting scenes, uh, the slow build towards uh, her full possession, the character development, at least of uh, Regan and her mother. There, that's one of the things that I was amazed by is that I watched. This is a two-hour-long movie, 
and the exorcism itself is only like the last 15, 20 minutes. Yep. yep. There's a well, lot of buildup. And you know what I think it is? There's a lot of... One thing I have to say, for someone who has never seen this before, the cinematography in this is very striking. Yes. Every mm-hmm. scene is framed in such a way that your focus is directly on ex- what they want you to see. Whether it be at the house and the conversation between uh, Kinderman and uh, McNeil, Chris McNeil, or at the scene at the hospital where they... I swear to God, they, I, I don't recall ever being in the hospital where the machines made the noises that they do. <laughs> well, keep in mind, it was 73, and MRIs and CAT scans and all that was a totally different technology than it is and now. doctors yeah. could just light up a cigarette in the middle of the hospital. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's like, well, let, me, let me give you some more advice here, but hold on, i got to do this bump real quick. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I agree with Josh that, I mean, I've seen this... I watch it sparingly because I don't want it to lose its edge. So, I mean, I can literally count probably on two hands the number of times I've seen it in my life. But when I was younger, the exorcism scene was what I always focused on. But now that I've rewatched it recently in the past two years, it is the buildup. It's the, um, especially the scenes in the hospital where they're trying to figure out what's going on with her and the little flashes of the face that freak me out. Several different faces, several different times. Because there's the one in the kitchen. There's the one when Reagan's being tested. Um, uh, and then Father Marin looks like it at the end. Yeah, and you've got the, like, Captain... I think they they call that the Captain Howdy face, since that's what she refers to as her friend that she's talking to through the Ouija board. Yes. Which Twisted Sister wrote a song about that, mm-hmm. incidentally. Like, how many times... Does this woman just get you know, ignored by people because they're just like, oh, you're just some hysterical woman. Like, things are going on. Like She's like, no, the bed was shaking with me in it. And he's like, no, it's just her psychological problems. It's a lesion. <laughs> it's a right. lesion. I know, right? It's like the <laughs> records were – I mean, it's like Poltergeist, that which we're going to be doing later this month. Shit's floating around the room. Oh, no. It's just a seizure. Well, and I think one of the reasons why this hits hard, especially if you watched it when you were young, is because it is grounded in reality and the unreal elements creep in just a little bit at a time and people react the way professionals would react. It's like, okay, she's going crazy. She Let's get her on Ritalin. Uh, okay, Ritalin didn't work. Let's try something else. Uh, let's try, try, uh, MRIs. We'll try any sort of tests that we can see if this is physiological or neurological. Let's try squirting her blood all the way to her feet. Right. Let's put that, an intubator for an MRI or whatever. Like, what? I honestly, the, between the exorcism and her being in the hospital, the hospital scene was more terrifying to me than the exorcism. <laughs> yeah. 1970s MRIs. Yikes, dude. Holy shit. First, yeah, I'm gonna shove this flying. garden hose in your uh, in your throat. <laughs> Seriously intense. Yeah, yeah. The camera's flying around above her head. If you're a 12 year old girl, that would be incredibly frightening. <laughs> well, it's like the torture scene in Star Wars. And then the other thing is when the the doctors go to the house and you know they witness kind of what she's dealing with, and they're like, "Well, we didn't see anything on the scans, but we want to do the scans again." I'm like, really, guys? Really? <laughs> Well, and, and to her credit, 
she when they when they're like, you know what? Maybe we missed something in the scans. We should go back in. And she's like, all right, well, I'm shutting this down. Yeah, she loses her shit on him. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like sixty doctors, and all of you assholes say the same thing. You know, it's like. <laughs> well, what about the scene in the boardroom where they're talking to her about, you know, there's this thing called an exorcism, and the way they explain it just, it just is crazy to me. That they're basically like talking about it. it's a psychosomatic thing, but you know it will actually work because they'll think they're cured. Right. right. Yeah, sort of a placebo effect. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like doc. These doctors can't. If they're scientists, they can't be religious, and if they're religious, they can't be scientists. And it's like this real clear defining line where they're kind of saying this is where, you know, the the separation is. And it was just fascinating to watch. And I don't know that it's just the seventies or whether it's any reality to it, but. It was, it was I mean, very I have well to think if there had been a man in the family, and I don't mean this in any kind of you know way against the single mother thing. I'm just saying, if there had been a man to say this and this and this and are happening, all these guys would have been like, oh well, you know, a man is saying that, so it must be happening. Well, yeah, but also 1973, there would have been. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's, yeah. like, it's just such a shame she got dismissed so easily by so many guys because they're just so like, oh, hysterical woman. Well, and then you've got the closest thing to a man in the house. You've got uh, Mr. Burke Dennings. <laughs> oh, God. Holy shit. Awesome. No. He's like Arthur, but crazy and racist. Right. And not nearly as attractive. No, wait, 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 what? Arthur with no charisma. <laughs> and, and him cons- consistently insulting the, the butler. Yeah, you Nazi. Yeah, Nazi. Nazi gold. I'm Swiss, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> What? And then he attacks him, and everyone's like, why are you being such a jerk, butler? He's like, have you met this guy? <laughs> well, she, uh, once again, to Chris McNeil's credit, she didn't fire the butler on the spot because she knew that her gentleman friend was being a drunk ass. Yeah. yeah. Then they go to put him in the cab, and they're just like, all right, walk the 50 feet to your car, don't die on the way, see you later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which is part of the reason why it takes a really long time for it to occur to anyone that uh, Regan pushed him out the window because him getting drunk, falling down the stairs and breaking his neck is pretty much how everyone thought he was going to die. Yep. Yeah, and you don't really find that out until way later on in the movie. Yeah, and I want to give some props to uh, Jason Miller, the guy who played Father Karras. He, I mean, for playing a character who is struggling with the death of his mom after his uncle puts him in, puts her in the the insane asylum or the asylum. What I mean, honest to God, I am so glad I never got sick when I was one year old. Because if that's what <laughs> hospitals looked like, what the hell? Well, it was obviously before old folks' homes were uh, run through the ringer of like investigative reporting and etc. Mm. And this was an especially low rent one because that's the best that her brother could afford right right because he so said we're talking it's hellish because he's like who's got money for you know doctor's care or hospitals and it's like i mean the the, the insurance thing wasn't around for him there wasn't any like i don't know medicare no there was, really wasn't anything it was it existed but yeah i mean it's it just like it was a joke the whole thing no sad another call out to jason miller uh he was actually in exorcist three yep as patient x yes uh, along with uh, Brad Dorf as the yes. as the Gemini killer. Seriously, I mean, I honestly, I think I hate to say it, but I think I like sound. I liked uh, Exorcist three better than this. But that's just me. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, 
but you know that's okay because it's 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 actually pretty highly regarded. And yeah, it's a good film. sequel. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But no, so. I mean it's the I like the I mean granted for as long as the movie was I mean it did have that seventies pacing as we've talked about before. If the payoff on it and the the mystery of um, Maxon Sydow, uh, Father Marin, remained through the entire movie. I mean, it's like you saw him at the dig. You saw him find the little uh, statue that the little demon head that he f- could hold in his hand, and he went back to the, see the other statue. And then you really don't hear from him until the very end of the movie, and he remains this m- this mystery, this enigma for the entire movie. And then he comes in, and then and you just you just know that this guy has seen some shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I think that that's connected to one of the debates that's endured throughout the decades. Is like, how did Pazuzu get to uh, Regan in the first place, and why? And she left I, the window open. <laughs> that's that was what we were talking about. Well, and I believe that uh, the how is through the Ouija board, but the why is basically this this is a demonic hit on a priest that had defied demons in the past. Basically, the Pazuzu is hanging around waiting for the first person who is anywhere near <coughs> the the priest it wants to get, uh, who's going to open a channel. And this little girl uses a Ouija board. And I firmly believe that uh, Pazuzu's possessing Regan was specifically to take out Father Marin, and they just got Father Karras as a bonus. I I kind of believe that this is a movie where the the monster wins. Now with the with the Ouija board thing, I got two questions. One was using a Ouija Ouija board really that casual in the seventies? Yeah, spiritualism, as Josh has talked about before, was. I mean, it was like a. Uh, it was I mean, like a. Warner Brothers thing. has been making a Ouija board for years well, since '66. And and, and no. there's a um, uh, there's a uh, another Ouija board movie coming out soon. Yeah, my my parents had one up in the top of a closet. Like it was it was a trendy thing in the '70s. Now here's yeah, I mean, here, here's my next question: How many of us have used a Ouija board? Nope. I saw this movie and I'm out. Uh, I'm kind of. <laughs> I never have. I, I I would, but I'd never have. Wait, Josh, were you yes or no? I no, I had access to one, but actually never used it. Are you kidding me that the guy with the theology degree is the only one that's used a Ouija board? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! And when we're including the guy who has a collection of occult books and in high school and college yeah. studied the occult, yes. <laughs> wow, I am the only one that has actually used a Ouija board. That is so trippy. Scared the shit out of me. Get him! <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, know. I mean, because I had, I mean, like I said, I've never seen The Exorcist. I've never seen, an, I mean, I haven't seen, you know, the movie Ouija. Obviously, it hasn't, it hasn't come out yet, but um, well, my mom bought me one at a garage sale. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> of course she did. Of course. <laughs> because how, how screwed up can Mike's background be? Uh, and, okay. I'm, this is when I was in my, I'm living uh, in high school. In the basement bath, basement bedroom, and sitting there, she got me this thing, sitting there with it on my lap, and I'm like, okay, what the hell? I'll try it. So I put my fingers on the uh, what is it called, Josh? The plan, the triangle of death. The plant. The plant. Yes, I put my fingers on the plant, and I sit there, and I'm just thinking, you know, 
concentrating on it. it says you know he's supposed to concentrate on communicating with whatever whatnot and the the plant just zips clean across the Ouija board I mean it was like it wasn't totally like threw it on the floor but it moved enough in my hands and I swear to God I did not push it I freaked out and covered the entire Ouija board in smiley face stickers are you that's hilarious <laughs> because I'm just like I don't know what to do with this I don't want to break it. I'll let it out. So I put stickers all over it and then eventually threw it out. But I am the only one of us that if you ever used one, that's kind of weird. That is, I mean, that's kind of what makes this show interesting. Even to us is that these little kind of things that we didn't know. (laughs) He's Pazuzu. I've I've never, I cannot confirm nor deny that thing. That explains him jamming the crucifix up his ass. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on with me tonight. Holy shit. Oh, boy. All right, Patrick, what did you think of the movie? I liked his choice of um, swearing right then. If he jammed it up his ass, it would be holy shit. Anyway, what? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, Jeebus. Anyway, what were you saying, Pat? I wasn't saying anything. Don't throw me in this. <laughs> I don't even know where I am. Who is this? Oh, yeah. Where did we leave off? Okay. Who are you people? So, Joel, uh, favorite scene? <laughs> um, well, actually, I, I kind of agree on the hospital sequences, um, just because it's frightening for multiple reasons. Um, but to to back up for just a second, Josh said in in a way that the demon ends and wins in the end but is it just because the the priest is killed because you know regan goes on to well at at least at that point goes on to live a happy life well if josh's theory is right then you know she was just a tool anyway they didn't necessarily care if they killed her or didn't right and it's not like the exorcism destroys the demon it just drives it out of a host and the exorcism failed he uh at the end karis uh, screams, take me in a moment of desperation. And the demon's like, cool, get to kill a priest. Deal. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. I just was trying to rationalize it out in my head because I keep thinking of the last sequence when Reagan gets in the car, she kisses the priest, she leaves. And then, you know, the, the, the cop and the other priest are talking about going to see a movie and, you know, credits. Well, and that, that begs the question. It's like, if the good guys won, why does the demon care about a random little girl in Washington, D.C.? Right. Uh, it got what it wanted. It, it notched two priests on its kill list. What I, what Joel just mentioned when Reagan uh, kissed the priest on the, before she got in the, uh, got in the car lends an idea to me that she actually remembers part of it. Yes, absolutely. At least subconscious, she knows that uh, the Catholic Church protected her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The guy in the collar did something to help her. That and and, a, oh, go ahead, Joel. I was going to say it's just a great little it's it's a great little simple thing that can easily be overlooked. But when you look at it from that perspective, it's a really nice touch. But you were saying? Oh, I was just say the uh, the pea soup scene. <laughs> yes, uh, Jason Miller. Uh, they apparently he they told him okay here's what's going to happen she's going to sit up and she's going to barf this pea soup mixture at you and it's going to hit you in the chest unfortunately the effects guys did not get the angle of the tube right and it got him square in the face as you saw in the movie 
So all the revulsion and disgust that he expressed in that moment was 100% genuine because... That was that was pure method. That was method acting right there. He got a facial and didn't want it. <laughs> I've seen that look in many a movie. Mm. <laughs> oh, uh, never mind. Yeah, don't go down that, that road, demon. Joel. Stay not here. Not in the hair, not in the hair. That demon Bukaki that takes over... Never mind. Uh, what did you think <laughs> about Father Dyer? The socializing, swinging, hip priest. I guarantee you that he has an all-boy choir that backs him up. <laughs> Yikes. That he backs can't up. can't say you're wrong. <laughs> Holy cow. I know why he got into the priesthood. Say that. It's uh, boys. Patrick. Well, uh, thank you for that short but disturbing trap down that road. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you, Pat. Now, Joel, when um, was the first time you saw this? Because you had said you were pretty affected by it. Um, honestly, I mean, the first time I saw it was, I want to say I was 17. I was either 17 or 18, but I, I, I want to say I was on the younger side of that because I've seen the, because of the people I saw it with. Um, a friend of mine named Sarah, she had a few of us over and we watched it at her house. And I just, I remember just sitting there through the whole thing, just like, kind of trying to play it cool because there were girls there and trying not to, you know, let them know that it was freaking me out. But as soon as I left and I got home, that's when it really hit me because the reality is that, you know, if you're religious in any way, a lot of people believe that this can really happen. And there's enough reported cases to back that up that it really messed with my head that I'm like, okay, this isn't really a horror movie where there's a guy in a mask that's running around killing people that's supernatural. This is something that could theoretically actually happened to me and that was a serious mind head screw or or maybe it has and you just don't remember it oh man because i'm not gonna sleep again because reagan didn't i need an old priest and a young priest but what about you guys well mike obviously we know his answer but i was 44 (laughs) (laughs) going on 14 um, I went on a classics kick of horror movies because I, I wasn't allowed to watch them when I was young. And I, I remember that right after I was allowed to watch the first couple, which were like Nightmare on Elm Street kind of stuff, I, I just went through a terror of all the big classics. The original Friday the 13th, uh, original Halloween, The Exorcist. And this this is sometime in high school. Okay. So Patrick? About the same time as me. <clears throat> Um, I was eight years old and what? <laughs> I, we, my sister and I were home alone and it was in the <laughs> evening. My parents were at, at a bowling league and they had left us alone. It was like one of the first times and my dad, it was one of the tapes that, you know, we had on VHS. And so we put it in the, the VHS and watched it. My sister and I, and <laughs> we couldn't get to sleep that night. It was, you know. And I was hooked on it from then on. I've seen it probably a good dozen times. And it's still creepy as shit. It's so much is explained by what you just said. <laughs> yeah, this That's where it all went wrong. That, that's why I don't get freaked out by a whole lot of shit. And I can just take everything in stride. Because I, you know, I was eight years old watching The Exorcist. So, like, whatever. <laughs> what the fuck is going to mess with me after that? You know, come on. Right. Well, and I, I, I still think to this day that that's one of the reasons why this one still ranks so highly for me is that, you know, I can watch, I don't know, 
the Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street or any of the other number of other horror films that are out there. And it, it doesn't have that same impact because of what the, the plot device is. And, um, and this movie just, it does such a good job of setting tone and it just makes you feel so, I mean, it, it just has such a sad feeling throughout the whole movie. And like, you know, it, it forces you to like, like these two, you know, the single mother and, you know, and, and her strong, resilient little daughter who's so cute and everything. And, and then it just slowly starts ripping that relationship apart, you know, and, and then, and then on top of that, then when it starts getting really supernatural and creepy and scary. And then the, then the whole exorcism thing, thing happens. And I just think this is a great well, movie. I love and it. how many movies then or now really focus on a little girl being the, the main focus of who's being tormented throughout the film? I mean, even the exorcism movies now, like, uh, the, the exorcism last exorcism. of Emily Rose. Right. These are all older people. I mean, yeah, that one scene where she's, you know, you know, masturbating with the crucifix and everything that, yeah, that, that is su- such a shocking scene, you know, and, and it just, it's, it just, this, this movie without being too, I don't know, too graphic, I guess, but it, I mean, it, it kind of is, but at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't abuse the graphics. It uses it to tell, you know, to, to complement the story. Right. It's not a, like a gore splatter shock effect. The horror to it is you end up really liking most of the characters who die. I mean, obviously there's the, the racist jackass who falls down the stairs, <laughs> but you've got like two badass priests and basically the adversary knows all of their weaknesses. It tests them. It pushes them. It, divides them and when it divides them it kills them each like when they're at their weakest yeah, so what just on a question was it um nitroglycerin pills that he was taking i'm sure yeah, yeah it had to have been okay and the first exorcism almost killed him he was much older and he was doing it alone because Karis bailed well Karis basically was forced to bail because he, he wasn't strong enough well, I mean, yeah, when the little girl starts speaking in the voice of your dead mother. Right. Debbie. Debbie. <laughs> Why you do this, Debbie? Spare some change for an old altar boy father. That was... I mean, t- that would, I would tell you that shit wouldn't fuck with your head. Come on, now. No, I mean, that, and that's... If you say that, that you'd be like, oh, okay, that's no big deal. I mean, you're lying. <laughs> right. Like, I'm telling you, if, like, some little girl started talking like my father, I, I that might affect me a little bit. <laughs> exactly. And especially if they look like that, knowing kind of what's going on. Well, and even when she spoke to uh, Chris, her mother, in the voice of Burke Dennings, the demon was uh, confirming a fear that she had, which was that Regan killed Burke. And that's fucked up. Yeah. I, I tell you, to me, what was probably the scariest, like, the creepiest, I, I say not scariest, the creepiest scene in the whole movie is when Karis walks into the room and he sees, you know, Merrick dead on the floor and Reagan is just, you know, curled up in the corner just laughing at, you know, at the fact that, you know, I'm winning, you know, and it's just, it's really creepy. Yeah. Um, now, have you guys seen the version with the spider walk in it? Yeah. I've, then? I've seen yeah. the spider walk, but I haven't seen it, like, framed and all that. Because it, when it happens in the sequel in the film, because I, I hadn't, I so used to the the original version. That when I finally saw it and I didn't know it was coming, it was kind of a shocker. Yeah, 
and it still to this day kind of holds up as being pretty effective and has been since kind of copied and retooled, but yeah. Yeah, in general, the effects held up pretty well. Exactly. Practical effects, and they're very minimal. It's like you said, they're, they complement the story versus being the focal point. Yeah. The only uh, thing that I would take out, it, as as cool as it was, the only thing I would take out would be the head spinning around. Yeah, but it's iconic. It was the effect that it showed its age most. Uh, Joel said something about being minimal, and there's a bit of uh, trivia we didn't go over about the music. Yeah. Uh, the music was super, super minimal. Uh, basically, you've got tubular bells, which is best known for being the theme for The Exorcist. But there was an original score that was actually produced by a composer named Lalo Schifrin. And uh, William Friedkin uh, took a look at the score. Uh, there was an initial film trailer uh, featuring Lalo Schifrin's music, and people were losing their shit. It was uh, f- uh, freaking them out. They were leaving the theater for the movie they were there to see based on the preview. Just the combination of the sights and sounds, and Warner Brothers executives told Friedkin to tell Schifrin, hey, uh, tone, tone the music down. It's too much. And uh, Friedkin didn't relay the message. Uh, and ended up not using most of the music. He didn't actually use any of it. He he destroyed a lot of it, threw it out a window into the parking lot of the studio. Huh. That it's was. Like I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that I had forgotten about. Because for as much as you hear, you know, the iconic music of this, you know, I mean, everybody knows, you know, the tubular bells. Tubular bells. But I was surprised at the fact that that wasn't used as, as much as I expected it to be. You know, I, everyone talks about, oh, my God, you hear that music, it brings back The Exorcist. I, for, the, for the first time watching, and what I knew, I was expecting it to be going through the entire movie. But no, not so much. Yeah, apparently in 98, they uh, did a remaster with three surviving pieces from the rejected score. Huh. I'd like to, I'd be curious to see that. And they also, like, as part of the sound effects, um, they used the sounds of pigs and cows being slaughtered as, like, some of the sounds that the the demon made. Huh. Well, and I I think I had read somewhere that, um, and I'm just citing this from memory, but that that Linda Blair actually said all of her lines in the film, but then they, of course, overdubbed it later, which I'm trying to imagine what that would have... pretty much destroyed her voice to talk. Uh, like that. I would wonder what that sounded like. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> there, what? A, a, a lot of the really rough, gravelly, you know, demon talk was a wo- uh, this older woman that was a, a heavy smoker, and she like really like oh, like she actually gave herself um, like she tore parts Andrew? of her throat up. She had to get like you know a surgery done afterwards because like she fucked her voice up so much. I I read stuff about it like before she would do the uh, do the voiceovers and that sort of thing. She would drink like raw eggs and smoke cigarettes beforehand to make <laughs> did any oh, okay here's a question for you yes did any of you meet linda blair when she was at gen con no no yeah. uh, although i don't usually do celebrity stuff at gen con yeah i Maybe. met her i met her in the hallway she was like coming back from something nice so 
Chip? That was how I met George Takei back when a uh, celebrity the size of George Takei in terms of like impact could actually wasn't like directed by handlers directly to the booth and like the crowd could never interact with them. This was early on before that was a thing. Oh my! So he was just the Star Trek guy. He wasn't you know George Takei. Right. Takei. Takei Takei. Nope. He's going to come and kick your butt. Agree to disagree. George Potato. (laughs) Nailed it. All right. So have have we said as much as we can say about this? I think so. Yeah, I think we're ready to go to the break. Uh, We'll we'll save our impressions, thumbs up, thumbs down for the end. Yeah. So uh, we'll be back in just a little bit, and we're going to talk about The Exorcist, the TV show, just released this month on Fox. Yeah, we're only uh, three episodes in so far, so... All right. No possibility of spoilers. Right. Be back in a bit. We are back, and we are going to talk about The Exorcist, the TV show, which came out not three episodes ago. Indeed. Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Three weeks. So And the end. (laughs) They talk about it being a reboot. It's based on the original novel, sort of, but it's not really just a retelling where we get indications that it's sort of a sequel, where the original happens. Yeah, it's in the same universe, for sure. Yeah. yeah just further down the timeline. And this one was uh, created by Jeremy Slater, who is uh, also known for being involved in the not-good Fantastic Four. There was a good Fantastic Four? Okay, the the, the most recent not-good Fantastic Four. Oh, okay, Four. then. I totally know what you're talking about now. The, the, the least bad of all the worst ones. Oh, and the Lazarus Effect. I've seen that. I've... Got it in my queue, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and apparently he's tapped to do the adaptation of the anime Death Note for uh, next year, which I'm kind of excited for. So I am it's too. Death Note production is now. pretty Isn't good it? stuff. Yeah, I believe so. So, yeah. yeah, this is based, like I said, based off the uh, the 71 novel uh, starring Alfonso Herrera as Father uh, Thomas Ortega Chips, uh, Ben Daniels as Father Marcus Keene, Hannah Kazulka, Kasulka, yeah. Kasulka as Casey Rance, Brian Brian Howie as Cat Rance, Gina Davis as a bobblehead, <laughs> and Yikes. Alan Ruck as Cameron freaks out. <laughs> <laughs> Gina Gina Davis does not look well, and I think it's awesome that Alan Ruck is turning into Jimmy Stewart slowly. <laughs> you know, good for him, right? Yeah. I mean, well, seriously. I, that. That's funny. I mean, I I was really excited to see him in this, and he's he's pulling it off. I really like now his I character. Now I want to see a Harvey reboot. Yeah. Oh, with I, Alan Ruck. They could yeah. totally remake stuff with him doing uh, Jimmy Stewart roles. Yeah. Merry Christmas movie emporium. And he's never stopped working. And I I I love me some Alan Ruck. Yeah, I remember seeing him on Spin City. He was uh, great on Spin City. He was great in Twister. Yeah. 
he uh, did a movie recently called Carnage Park um, that he played a, a cop in. Yeah. Yeah. He's very likable. And that's the thing is like when you see him, you're like, hey, it's Cameron. <laughs> cool. He's you know, everyone, and that's everyone's reaction. Oh, he's still doing stuff. Now, Gina Let Davis my... looks like she got stung by a bee, though. Cameron, I don't... go. I think this does not bode well for him, though, that everybody else is in six episodes and he's in only in five. I was annoyed at that. It's like, really? You're going to put the spoiler right there before the, because uh... we're only in episode three, so. And he's alive and well, currently. Yeah, he's doing all right. And he's a lot, he's a lot more uh, lucid than I was expecting him to be from the first introduction of him. Sure, yeah. yeah. Correct, yes. Uh, our first take when we were watching that first episode was we were guessing early onset Alzheimer's for his character. Yeah, apparently it was from a fall. Like he had mentioned it in the last episode, in episode three, he was talking about how he had fallen off a, or a scaffolding had collapsed. Yes. Yeah, he took a head injury and he had, uh, like a TBI. Yeah. So, but, a little trivia on this. It's pretty not a lot of trivia because it's quite new. This is filmed in the Andersonville neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois, where most of us have lived or are from, and it's more than just Andersonville, though, so it's... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they did the filming in Andersonville, but uh, it's clearly set uh, a bare, just barely into the south side, like south of Humboldt Park. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where they aim it. Uh, the hotel that she works at, though, is the Drake. Sure. And, oh, and they talk about how the Pope's entourage only wants to go in the Gold Coast, which is like the super rich area. Right. You're only spending there. They the comment. You're only in, uh, on the South Side for 20 minutes, and you're up in the Gold Coast for four hours. So, um, something here's a little uh, 40 going to 14 trivia. The <laughs> room that they have the dinner in with the uh, Pope's uh, entourage in Episode Three is the same room that uh, we were in for the Trader Joe's party. When I really? was, yeah, they had a party for the Trader, all the Trader Joe's management at the Drake one year, and that is the same room that uh, that we had the party in. That's oh, cool. Yeah, another fun. Love the Drake. Oh, it's <laughs> who doesn't so, love the Drake? And you know what? They could not have picked a better hotel to do the do the Exorcist in because I swear to God, if anything is haunted in Chicago, it's the fucking Drake. The and Congress, the Red Line. No. Right. Oh yeah, the Congress too. Yeah. Shit, hey, Pat. Famously haunted. When we were at the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say when we were at the internet company, didn't didn't uh, they host something at the Drake too? No. Maybe you weren't there anymore. Hmm. It might have been, yeah, because you were you were there long after I was. Because there was a there was a big um, there was a big like gathering of all the employees for this big day long thing, and it was within walking distance. We walked there, but it, I swear it was at the Drake, but. Anyway, Drake isn't within walking distance of 175 Jackson. Anyway, no, 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 because uh, we well, we had to. When I say walking distance, I mean you can hop a train. You didn't get in a car and drive somewhere. You never mind. I'm gonna I, shut up. I now. even think the scenes <laughs> filmed at the Drake though were meant to represent like generic uh, fancy hotel because there's no way someone is going to be able to set themselves on fire on Lakeshore Drive or Michigan Avenue right. uh, without like being hit by a taxi. <laughs> or by a bike courier. Yeah. It's... <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's, I mean, and us being Chicagoans notice a lot of, like, discrepancies in that. But, um, a little trivia. Uh, although publicized as a reboot in the, of the original movie, you can consider it a sequel because there's a lot of 
uh, photo evidence and nods to the original movie, such as in a internet picture, there are the, there are the stairs that the priest fell down in the ver- in the first one, and a newspaper article recounting what happened in the first movie. Yeah, that was pretty cool, actually. I, yeah, I, mention of the death of two priests. Yeah, right. I, fr- I froze the screen and read the article. Basically, it was just like a synopsis of the first movie. Right, and yeah, um, if you when you go into uh, uh, da, 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 uh, Ben Daniels' fa- Father Keen's uh, room, the when at uh, a specific angle when uh, Father Ortega's talking to him and his back is he with the doors to the left of him. The picture, charcoal, charcoal picture on the back of the wall behind him is of the scene where, um, Max von Sydow stops in the, in the street lamp right before he walks into the house. Hmm. Which is an iconic shot. Oh, yeah. 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 So, and then yeah. there's also, well, other things that give a nod to the original one. Um, uh, which, her, her peeing herself after yeah. she peels that guy's chest off. Yeah. yeah. Holy crap. That was. Cracks his jaw. Yeah. That was intense. No, it was out. It was in a subway pad, <laughs> like the circus. So, Josh, yeah, <laughs> he says, trying to draw this conversation away. Uh, so, we all watched the first three episodes of this. What was your take on uh, episodes one to three? I understand some of the criticisms that some of the character development stuff is not as interesting as the horror stuff. I get that. I, I do think that uh, they've had some very strong character moments, uh, making the uh, non-possessed version of Casey very likable. Cat um, needs to be hit by a bus. <laughs> um, the, the whole like family stuff, like some of it's interesting, some of it just kind of falls flat, but they're trying to develop all of the characters as three-dimensional people and get into their relationships, and I appreciate what they're trying to do, even if some scenes don't work. Like, I, I think that uh, Father Thomas and Father Marcus are freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. I love the church politics subplot that's going on. Uh, the... Uh, kind of sleight of hand that they do trying to make you think that it's going to be cat rance who has the demon and then it's her bubbly awesome sister that they have that first big encounter in the attic with father thomas and casey awesome yeah which incidentally for television yes that scene topped trumped a lot of bad j-horror remakes that uh have tried to bite on that whole jank jinky jiggly walk yeah. thing fast forward walk thing that they stole from the ring yeah but they so whatever did the, whatever it was that they did they like it was it was very well done because it was so non-human the way she was walking like they they must have had her like on complete wires and like she was just like moving around all erratically it was almost like spider-like yeah it was just so creepy and well done and that I've, attic scene was very well done well i think that I, was also a, a nod to the first one to the first, uh, um, because of the the spider walk down the stairs. Joel keeps trying to get something. Sorry, out. sorry, no, Joel. Just, I was just going to say. I mean, coming from somebody, I, I I consider myself sometimes a jaded horror fan. That you know, I've seen it all, and and it, it takes a lot to kind of surprise me. But it, it was very a very original take on something that we've seen many many times. And I can honestly say I've never seen anything quite like that. It was incredibly jarring. Yeah. 
I had a similar moment when we saw the flashback slash dream sequence of Father Marcus trying to uh, exercise the Baptist from Gabriel in Mexico City. Uh, when uh, Gabriel's eyes split and you had like two pupils in one eyeball, yeah, that was I crazy. gasped and I was like, I have never seen something like that before in that, horror. That was pretty damn cool. And the whole uh, trial by fire of him where they're like, hey... You're 11, 12 years old. We're going to lock yeah. you in a room with a demon. See how well you do. I kept thinking it was going to be like some kind of like just set up. They were testing their courage. Like it was going to be like a recording or something. No, demon. <laughs> how about you, Joel? Had you seen something like those eyes? No, no. I mean, I've seen I've seen uh, poster art where they play with that, but I've never seen it actually happen. Um, and it, what bothered me about that scene more than the uh, the eyeballs, which was weird enough, was... When the boy's head twisted, you know, initially you're thinking, okay, we've seen this in The Exorcist. We know what's going to happen. Nope. This he just flat out. realistic, which is one of the reasons why I didn't like it in The Exorcist, because that's what should have happened to her. Yeah, just flat out killed him. And then when he talks about when later on they're questioning uh, Casey and she talks about, you know, how the snap sounded like, you know, the breaking of a bone or what. Or no, um, I forget what she compared it to, but it was just like really just dark um so so i mean a lot of the beginning are establishing shots of the various characters we know that cat is recovering from a tragedy and is withdrawn and really bitter and sarcastic has a troubled relationship with her mother played by gina davis um and her dad uh who's alan ruck is having a hard time even managing his life from his traumatic brain injury and then you've got her sister who's just this kind of awesome teen athlete girl and uh we get the uh back in time uh flashback of father marcus doing the exorcism in mexico city but we're seeing them through the eyes and dreams of father tomas who is this up-and-coming charismatic priest who is uh a lot of people are saying he's on a fast track to becoming a bishop when the spot opens Mm mm-hmm uh, speaking of disturbing sequences, I forgot the one that one of the ones that also got me pretty, uh, pretty badly was when you keep seeing this boy on his bike, listening to his rap music, going around the city. And when he finally comes home, that and what happens? That whole, that whole scene was just, and I can't, when I can't it, wait to see how, what, what they're playing out with that. Exactly. When, when they walk out of the house, and you're like, man, that's messed up. And then another one walks out of another house. And then another house. Yeah, and I'm I just want to like, know how the body count was only nine. We well, saw like six in that house alone. There was well, four in that house, but there was there were seven there were seven people that walked out of the homes. But uh, but I, I I kept doing the math in my head because I kept saying the same thing. But you figure the four in the main houses, and there was more than one um, person in the house committing the the murders. And the other people that came out of the other houses, there was there was five other ones. So if you had four for the two in the house and then five for the other, that's nine bodies. Because the, the other ones each had one each. That makes but, sense. Yeah. And, and I had super, to think about it. <laughs> the supernatural stuff starts ramping up pretty quickly after the attic scene we're talking about where it's revealed that Kat, who uh, Gina Davis, uh, she goes to Father Tomas and says, something's wrong with my daughter. She's just got the wrong daughter. Yep. And uh, that's revealed at the end of episode one. And then uh, we get uh, Father Thomas, he decides that he's got to go seek out this priest from his dreams. 
who has been sent to basically a place for tra- problematic, troubled priests. Oh, by the way, the the the, re- the way he finds out about that is through um through Henry Rance just randomly babbling. Oh, Father Marcus is at Saint Aquinas. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. While he's having uh, a senior moment from his brain injury, he like blanks out and something speaks through him. Yeah, that was kind of weird because I mean, I'm still trying to figure out why he does say random stuff, but he says random stuff that's kind of relevant. Not so random. Yeah. If you're looking well, for this, you're going to be looking for this gentleman, and he lives at this address at this latitude and longitude. He's he's like Moon Boy in in the George R. R. Martin series. <laughs> well, but you figure that. Um, uh... If if he's that kind of his mind is that kind of disjointed and uh, is not all there that it makes him an easy vessel. Sure, and there's obviously a, a whole sub theme of the fact that you've got two very different priests at different points in their career who are being drawn together by a higher power for something very important. Mm-hmm. And if and the neither f- one of them knows what to make of the other. Right. And if the first movie is uh, any indication, that they're not headed to a good ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Which sucks, because I like Alan Ark. Anyway. Uh, and, uh, I mean, every one of the characters, except for Cat. <laughs> I, I don't like Cat. I don't know how anyone else feels about her. Well, she, she's the typical teenager. The angsty, bitchy, you know, going through puberty teenager. I think she's uh, well through puberty. She's in her... She, yeah, yeah. She's in she's in college. She's yeah, a college yeah. freshman. Was she? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, she's just a bitch. Because they went <laughs> they went back to her uh, her college for the uh, dance program. Yeah, that awful dance program. Ugh. Well, that's exactly what a bunch of like second year dance students who wanted to do a fitting tribute to one oh, of their. I've I mean, been, they I've, all. I've been to that dance recital. Don't. Yeah, yeah we. Yeah, have. you know it's realistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I, I was watching this with a, with a buddy of mine. He was over, happened to be over, and I was like, I was like, I have been to this recital. <laughs> you were in that recital. <laughs> uh, we should have turned that into a drinking game, man. Darkness and Andy. <laughs> Inside joke. Um, I also uh, some of the minor characters got to call out uh, Kurt uh, Egewayan, uh for playing Father Bennett. The uh, like I, I believe he's South African from his accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the priest who uh, back in Mexico City, Father Marcus pulls a gun on, and that's sort of the catalyst for him being excommunicated by the third episode. Right now, now where have we seen him before? Um, it, it's which, recent. Uh, he was in Skyfall. Okay. Beasts of No Nation. Um, th- those are hmm. those are the two. Bi- oh, he, if you saw Pan, he was in Pan. I didn't see it. Hmm. But yeah, he's only got uh, six credits right now. Okay. Hmm. Um, and also, you've got the personification of the salesman demon. Oh, that guy. Yeah, that is a great uh concept. Yeah. I really I think I think he's he's they're right on with this one. In the scene on season in the episode three huh. where yeah, in the train <laughs> yeah. on the L where he where the salesman comes up and kisses uh kisses her and that's like the, the significant significant of the transition of she's just giving up to the power. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, his seduction of her, despite the fact that he's this middle-aged creepy salesman guy, is playing into the family dynamics that they've put together. Like, everyone's concerned with her beautiful older sister, and she's sort of the baby living in the shadow of her sibling. And every little uh, bit of uh, self-consciousness she's got about her status in her family and in her life, he plays on to seduce her. Mm-hmm. And the whole scene where they're in the dressing room, and it's like you, he convinces her to, to uh, steal the uh, steal the dress, and it little by little just plays on your mind on that. Or the scene where they're sitting on the stoop, and she's got her her head in his shoulder. Oh, that was weird. Yeah. Well, that's where I realized he wasn't real because when he's at the soccer game, I'm like, who's this creepy guy at the soccer game? Oh, yeah, from the beginning. Like they did the cutaway where he wasn't there, and then they cut back, and he was. You didn't notice that? I I must have turned my head away briefly because <laughs> I did not notice that, and and that's why when he's sitting with her on the step, I'm like, why is she being so friendly with this guy? And then when Alan Ruck looks outside, and I'm like, oh, that's messed up. <laughs> and so, when he's walking across the train, and you're like, okay, some shit's about to happen. So we're building towards a couple of real key moments when uh, Father Marcus is finally uh, gearing up. He's been brought in. He leaves the place he's been put out to pasture. Uh, he contacts Father Thomas, says, if we're going to do this, uh, you've got some weaknesses that the adversary is going to use against you. You need to close those off, shut them down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they eventually get to the point where they uh, narrow down which daughter has the problem, and they get to the interrogation after a few really creepy scenes with, like, a homeless guy that uh, reaches out to her in the middle of, like, a soup kitchen. Oh, the that Jenga was... scene. Yeah, the Jenga scene. There's all these nice little horror moments. Yeah, when, like, when, when the homeless guy at the, at the shelter starts speaking to him, in the in the in the voice of the the demon from his childhood. Mhm. Oh, that was a good scene. That that And you know what, uh, what the thing that gets me on this one is the they bring the recording of the the video to the to the to the uh the cardinal. Here, watch this. This is what happened. Oh, well, you know what? So obviously this girl needs a psychiatrist. Right. And they're like, like nice why does nod. everybody always have to be an asshat? Well, I, I think that he does believe it, but it's sort of like to, to jump tracks to another geek thing. You've got the Ministry of Magic refused to believe that Voldemort was back because it was really inconvenient to yeah. not lie to themselves. Well, and it's a nice nod to the original film. Nerd. Yeah, I, I kind of think that in that situation, the church is like, that, that bishop knew what he was looking at, but he's like, I can acknowledge this. And torpedo my career, torpedo Father Thomas' career, and throw a big bump into the Pope's arrival in Chicago. Or I can just say, well, maybe we don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe we well, can deal with it after the Pope goes home. Yeah, and then who what, was mean, it? Which is unfortunately what happens when you. I mean, I'm not trying to get political, but I'm saying when you have an organization as big as a Catholic Church, you, you know, and politics starts getting into it because there's just so many people. Oh, and that's explicit. Uh, by the time you get the uh, extra scene with Father Bennett and Father Marcus after the excommunication, where we think that Bennett hates Father Marcus, but they're kind of meeting in secret. And he's saying uh, there's an indication that the Catholic Church may have been infiltrated by demons and that they both know that it's not just this one girl. There may be a bunch of demons coming. Well, 
And was it Father Thomas or, or, or Father Marcus that was like, um, Aramaic, Aramaic, they, they're teaching that in, in public school now, right? right. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's speaking Aramaic. You don't think that's odd at all? <laughs> well, and they're trying to protect him because he is the rising star. He's taken a Lawndale community church that, uh, was an impoverished, uh, parish and he has built a spiritual community in a community that's in trouble. And, uh, he's being rewarded for it. And he is the Catholic Church's golden boy rising star. And they see him getting involved with Father Marcus and the exorcism scene as throwing his career, his life, maybe his soul away. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Father Marcus is, is probably to me the most interesting character. And I think one of the hardest scenes to watch outside of this, the horror stuff was after you know his backstory and you know that he was, like I said, literally purchased to be this potential super exorcist or whatever. And when they excommunicate him, here's a guy that despite everything in his life, this gives him purpose and has made him a, I mean, firm believer in, in the Catholic church and religion. All of a sudden they're taking that away from him. And they're the ones that, you know, that's his family. And that, that whole scene is just incredibly hard to watch because you can just see it on his face. How, I mean, that just destroys him. You make an interesting point there about his career because I think they contrast him pretty starkly with Father Thomas where Father Thomas doesn't have this storied past where it was sold to the church and kind of the outsider from the beginning. He is the golden boy, but he never had the moment of faith. It was almost more, this is just something I do. I go into the priesthood and I try and do good things for people. And the first time he hears the voice of God, it's telling him, Find Father Marcus. Help this girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very very well written contrast. I don't really. So, oh, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say what one thing that I don't understand is if they're sending um, Father Keen to Florida, why is the bus going to Elgin? <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying it'd be really easy just to get hop on 294 and just go south. Why are you going all the way out to Elgin? Although, I mean, they are, there have been a lot of, there's a lot of fiction set in Chicago that does a lot of worse things, uh, with the geography. Like, I'm a big fan of the Harry Dresden Wizard in Chicago books, mm-hmm. and I cringe every time they talk about going from Lincoln Park to just down the street to the University of Chicago. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Yeah, well, what street is that? <laughs> didn't, when the one, the other, the, the Pope's guy, is in the car with him and he, he talks about, you know, there's a lot of friends and network and all this blah, blah, blah about people in Chicago. And he, on the back of the thing, it has a list of names. Yeah. Did so, anyone freeze frame that? No, but I think because he's going, they're sending him to Elgin as for the, the purpose of the Catholic church. It's like a layover for him to get to where they want him to go. But in reality, it's his first meeting point to get to one of these safe houses and then infiltrate his way back into you know continuous work yeah i was i was on the train had a lousy connection for it so i couldn't read anything on that ticket but if there's a list of friends that was on there so apparently he they're i don't know they're forming the exorcist squad or something like that well <laughs> and maybe there are people from an older uh more mystical branch of the church uh who are not involved in church politics and therefore not suspected of already having been compromised 
they're for some be, reason, they're in Elgin. Thomas's Angels. <laughs> yeah, the the two tickets were just a, a way to cover his tracks so that it looked like he was going to where he needed to go, but it actually gave him that ability to get off and continue on in his work without them ever knowing. He's giving himself the slip. Exactly. Even he doesn't know where he's going. Not yet. But once he gets there and he meets one of these people, then all shall be revealed. So are we ready to talk about the season three final scene or we got more more before we get there? No, let's let's go there. Uh, after, uh, okay, there, there's one cringy bit that's actually important to set up that final scene that we forgot. The, the w- one thing that really didn't work for me and I winced when I saw it is, uh, especially TV and movies have a history of bringing up gay characters to just immediately kill them. And when they did that with Cat's girlfriend, I was like, whoa, that's, that's not cool. <laughs> Well, I was very confused for a little while because I thought that the girl in the car was her sister. And I was like, why is this getting incestual? Oh, oh no, I, I, that, that didn't confuse me at all because uh, we'd known that she was in the car accident where someone died. And very quickly I was like, oh, they were lovers. Oh, crap. Hollywood did it again. Yeah. But we get to the memorial where you've got the stereotypical college girl uh, uh, recital mm-hmm. to pay tribute. And uh, Casey, in the thrall of the demon, has made an ass of herself. She's uh, hurt her family, especially her sister. And she storms off and her father goes after her and they get on the L. And... As they're on the L, and she's in this extremely revealing, almost $4,000 dress, uh, her father has uh, kind of a twitch, a spasm. Yeah, he goes on to the seizure. for a little while. Yeah, it's a seizure. Yeah. And at just at that point, the doors open, and apparently a Cubs game has gotten out because there are all of these drunk Wrigleyville frat bros. And for a moment, it was far too realistic because I was just like Ugh, in my yeah. I always hated when I got on that when I, all those guys got on the L. I, like, I just oh. want to point out the douchebag who started rubbing up on her and being the ass to her was a Cardinals fan. <laughs> <laughs> he was wearing a red cap. Uh, that's like I I've been in Wrigleyville after five o'clock and I was just like oh shit I can see where this is going yeah. just having been in Chicago and yeah immediately the guy gets extremely rapey with her the every one of the uh stereotypical uh chauvinist things like I'm just trying to pay you a compliment uh dressed like that you are obviously looking for the attention you're asking for it he's pulling her close he's not letting her go ignoring her when she says no until she looks down to the far end of the car and sees a salesman walking towards her yeah and that's when the shit hits the fan um the salesman comes down and like we had talked about before there's like this giving up of power to the salesman as they share this kiss and then kudos to the actress for for just grabbing it by the balls and just going with it yeah oh yeah in actually twice in that scene once when she kisses him and once when she actually does grab the guy by the balls 
Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and she just goes crazy on him, and everybody around is either screaming or taping it with their phones or both. Yeah. Until she blows all the phones out so they, they yeah. all stop working. All the phones blow out, and then she starts to fillet his chest and just rips him to pieces. Yeah, she and, turns him into shredded pork, basically. And then grabs his lower jaw and pulls. Yeah. yeah. Until he's, and he's still not dead, which is the worst part, because he slinks off at yeah. the very end. Yeah, and making that horrible sound that yeah. oh, oh, it's so so many crunchy noises. Yeah, but, it's like uh, curbing without the curb. Oh. <laughs> but then Alan Ruck stands up and calls Casey and kind of snaps her back from the demon. I my prediction is is Alan Ruck and Henry Rance as a dad is going to be a lot more badass than we're expecting him to be at this point. Uh, either that or because he's vulnerable and Cat uh, is also vulnerable, uh, it's possible that uh, S- Sarah's prediction was that all three of them are going to end up with little friends. Well, and and they said earlier, or uh, Father Marcus, I think, said earlier on that, uh, you know, they can't do anything until the demon shows itself to the public and... Well, yeah. There you go. There we go. And then you have that brilliant callback where she uh, comes back to her senses and immediately like urinates standing there on the train. Yep. Yeah. And and it, and it seemed much more alpha in the show than it did in the in the movie. You know what I'm saying? I I don't know. It, it didn't seem like an expression of dominance to me. Yeah. It seemed like a loss of control. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like I had I I just came back from having absolutely no control over myself. Right. Uh, I read it differently than you guys did. Well, that's because you like getting peed on. Uh, like, I don't know is the right He's word. He's not either, Tom but... Sizemore and R. Kelly. <laughs> no, but I... I my... <laughs> <laughs> my call is that uh, Henry Rance is going to is going to come, come across as being a, l- a lot more powerful than we're giving him credit for. So, I, I think that this is interesting because this really pushes the envelope of what you expect to see from horror, and it's not even on cable. Yeah, I mean, for something that's on regular Fox TV, this is pretty heavy-duty shit, man. And the critical opinion on it is generally panned, hence my joke at the top of the show, but the fans seem to really like it. So it's one of those where I don't know what the ratings are doing. It's not expected to get a second season, but uh, most of the people who stuck past the first episode are really into it. Well, and see, I'm wondering if it was if what their intentions are because it's not got a full run. Whereas, I mean, I guess that's kind of a trend these days. But you know, it's more like a six episode mini series, and I don't know. A lot of people are starting to adopt the. The European or the British school of thought on on you know series it's like just you know six to ten and done. Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of series that uh, don't need a 22 episode run. There's a hell of a lot of padding to get there. Like Heroes, for instance. Yeah. Well, Lost. I mean, The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead both did six episode first seasons, and uh, I remember back in the day when like. The Monsters, for example, I mean, their first season was like 26 episodes or something. Yeah. You know, you could have like 75 episodes by the time you were through your second season back in the day. Well, I mean, a show I've just started watching, I told you guys, is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and I was surprised that, you know, right off the bat, first season, they had 22 episodes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the standard for U.S. shows. I, I went to Rotten Tomatoes, and it looks like the credits uh, critics did not hit it as hard as I believed. 
Uh, it's currently sitting at 76% from critics and 76% from audience. So oh, my perception nice. was probably more based on social media than actual facts. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just saw a bunch of people talking about how much they liked it and critics not so much in terms of like re- uh, review articles I read. Mm. But uh, I, I'm probably going to watch it through its run, however long that is. So, given the, I mean, then and now, if you've got one DVD with one of them on there, do you take 72 or do you take 2016? Well, I won't really be able to answer that until this first season is done. True. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have to take 72. Three. Three. Yes. Oh, 73. Sorry. I mean, right now, I definitely take 73 because, like I said, I in, until this is done... I'm not going to compare them, really, and I, I like The Exorcist so much that I'm not going to pick the other one. Well, oh, go ahead. Because you never know, by episode six, there could be, like, she turns into, like, some sort of demon superhero and fights crime right. in the evening. Like, suddenly she has, like, Iron Man suit of armor or something, and she's battling crime. Right. Well, you never know. It could really blow ass. The by the Iron end. Exorcist. But right you now, know, right now, I really like this series, and I, I, like Josh, plan on watching the whole thing. I, I... I like the actors. I like the story so far. I like the way they're telling it. The special effects are good. It's the appropriate level of creepiness plus character building. And I think it's just, I I really like it. I I will say, just based on these three episodes, though, I've already seen some flaws, and I consider the original pretty close to flawless for its time. So if that's going to be my measuring stick, I have to solidly give it to the original. Yeah, I'm same same boat. I, you know. I agree with you. He re-agrees. Right. Uh-huh. Mike, you pose the question. What's your take? Um, I think I'm in the I'm the camp with Pat. I mean, like the 73, I'll watch it again. You know, and that's I kind of regret not watching it beforehand. But I'm intrigued by this. I think it has a lot of potential to be good. I think it's got a lot of potential to take a good story and have characters. You know, if they can get a little bit more dimensions to the characters and draw it out that we actually understand what's going on a little bit more. Um, I think it could be pretty good, even if it's just like a 10-episode run. You know, if give me a good completion to it, and I'll be happy. But I like, I kind of like them both. I'm hoping we get some more uh, character development from the female characters who aren't Casey. Yeah. I mean, Kat and Angela are the weakest characters so far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, for me being, I mean... I was really apprehensive when I heard this was happening. Um, and it's not that I have any problem with reboots, reimaginings, whatever. I'm, I'm a big supporter of that, despite public opinion being the opposite on a lot of cases. It, because it's such a beloved piece of my, uh, horror history, I, I was nervous and I was glad, first of all, that they, that they left it in the same timeline, but made it, um, further down. So it wasn't a retelling, but I, I kind of almost hope that they leave it as a mini series and, and don't take it forward. Cause it's hard to carry a series where that has that kind of a, a history to it. As I mentioned in our chats earlier, you know, Hannibal did it in a way that they actually did retell some of the main plot points from the original story and, and, and use that to carry it for three seasons. And I just, I just don't want this to turn into like a, another version of Legion or, you know, uh, the fallen or whatever, where, you know, 
or Buffy, where suddenly you know they're just battling demons all the time. You know, it, well, and that's just it. I just wonder how far you can go with it because Bates Motel started out really strong, but then kind of tapered off towards the end. And it's one of those things where there's enough hit rich history there to give it a good solid base, but you have to know when to call it quits. And I, I just, I'm kind of wondering if as strong as these first three episodes were, if it can carry it to further, you know, I mean, what else are they going to do after this story reaches its conclusion? Well, so I mean, I kinda... there's always that risk of it turning into demon of the week. Right. right. And I hope they just do a mini series. Like Joel said, just move on after that and find something else. Right. All right. So, so thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, I was oh. going to say it seems like it's thumbs up for both of them for all of us. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, anyone want to cast a dissenting vote? Uh, 2016 great effects, uh, lousy theology. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that that is one thing that gets that does get to me. It's like the in in the first episode was the whole. What does God want me to do with my life? You know what? You know what? Just do your shit. I, I almost think that there is a legitimate point to be made between the difference between uh, Catholicism and Protestant Christianity, though, because I've read books by uh, Catholic priests who have lost their way, lost their faith, and I don't. I don't think that that's necessarily out of the purview of possibility for a Catholic priest who's uh, struggling. Oh no, no. I mean, I, I mean, I believe I understand the whole, you know, priest struggling with his faith thing. I just, you know, it seems to be that the theme was very much so in the, what is God's choice? You know, what, have you heard what God's plan is for you? Make, you know, make your choice, do your thing, you know, just get on with your life. Stop sitting around and waiting for some sort of message in your ear. That's something that just... Well, just, my point is, is that's totally valid, but it might be a more common viewpoint for someone who's Protestant as opposed to the Catholic Church, which comes with all this baggage, all of this ritual, all of the pomp and circumstance and bishops and saints and... Funny hats. Confession. And, yeah. yeah. No, I'll give you that. But think about this, though. Oh, my... <laughs> in in 2016, to have a show where your your main heroes are religious, um, you know, people who are firmly founded in their religion and firmly believe in you know God and everything that goes with it, that's your main protagonist. I mean, that's kind of unusual, um, and to put it in a horror setting like this, so it, uh, it, it that kind of taken all the the rest of it out of it. That's kind of Oh, yeah, it feels fresh because they've done the priest who's really the bad guy so much in horror in the last ten years. Yeah, and you that can't having have... the priest be the good guy is fresh again. Yeah, you can, and you say you can't have the exorcist be like a satanist because they'd be like, "Hey, Frank, how you doing? Everything cool? Yeah, okay, awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna go next door. Hey, can I ask you to See you at like, the apocalypse? Go somewhere else, man. <laughs> can you do me a real favor, just like for like a week? Do me a solid, man. <laughs> All I, right. Yeah. So now next week. What are we doing? We're talking about uh, Poltergeist, yeah. the uh, original, and the uh, movie came out last year, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Poltergeist. And no. then we'll be, uh, a week after, we're getting back to William Friedkin for uh, Amityville. Yeah. We're getting all the classics this, this year on the uh, Octobu Horror Special. And we, can, we can touch on The Exorcist every week, too, as we keep watching. 
Right. Oh. Follow. Oh yeah, we could we could do a little like exorcist update at the top of the show, maybe. Yeah, let's do that. That'd All be sweet. Right. So uh, if you're new episode for, uh, tomorrow. Yeah. So if you're looking for some of our older stuff, remember you can find us on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Blueberry, and other major uh, podcast directories. You can also find us uh, at Saturdays at noon on Geek Life Radio. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch with us, don't forget, 708-NOW-RAP, that's 708-669-9727, or uh, email us, 40go14 at Gmail, and just search 40go14 at Facebook, on Facebook, and you can get us on there also. And you can reach out to us on Twitter by tweeting at 40go14. Right. That's kind of like a theme we got going on, 40go14. Right yeah, also. kind of in the title. Yeah. Weird. Demi, why you do this, Demi? <laughs> Great, right. I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> when do you ever? True story. All right, good night, everybody. It burns! Oh, it burns! Maybe I had to take Lucy out. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> thought he was whipping out his little Josh Hartman. I call mine Freddie Prince Jr. Because he's not getting into much anymore, and what it is isn't very good. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. You're a dick. That's awesome. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that that was the pause. I was like, okay, this is a perfect joke, but it's a little rough. Doesn't bother me, but it was, it's, yeah, that would, to some people, that would be a pretty, yeah. Nice one. Kudos.